Hello and thank you for listening. I am so excited to say that I now have a Patreon that you can go to. I'll make sure I include the information in the show notes. But I have multiple tiers you can choose from. $1, $3, and $5 tiers. The $1 Spooky Soul tier gives you access to an online Discord community that is filled with fellow spooky souls. If you want to talk about creepy, cozy things, you might be interested in that. The $2 Cryptid Creature tier lets you have that online community, as well as giving you early access to episodes, bonus content, and secret bonus content. And the $5 Kachu Cuddler tier, named after my fluffy, squish-faced kitty, lets you have that online community, early access to episodes, and the bonus material, but it also lets you suggest future episodes and I'll shout out your name during each episode. Thank you so much for your listenership and support, and I can't wait to talk to you more soon. Hello, and welcome to Creepy Core and Folklore, the show about creatures, encounters, old tales, and myths. I'm your host, Iona Wayland a dark fantasy author, mental health professional, and overall curious person. I want to join other spooky souls and hear about these unusual stories. Hello, spooky soul, and welcome to episode 60 of Creepy Court and Folklore. Um, I am fighting myself to not do a deep dive this time. In case you don't know, every 10th episode, I would do a really extra special deep dive where I'd go just totally into down the rabbit hole of certain subject and do like a a topic coverage of this thing, whatever that thing was. So um, I've done spiders and vampires and biblically accurate angels and werewolves. And, and oh my god, I lost myself during mermaid to mermaids where I had to make three deep dive episodes into it. And then uh, I did dragons and I had to like fight myself on like basically doing this novel about dragon lore and history. It was crazy, crazy. And I was like, I can't keep doing this. I keep falling behind in my scheduling behind in my opinion, because I, I want to have I, I record ahead of schedule doesn't matter doesn't matter. But basically, I was like, okay, something has to give with the workload. And the special episodes are what had to give. So instead, I'm going to focus on dedicating uh, episodes every 10th one, maybe, uh, and make it special that way by dedicating this one to Justin, because Justin will send me these really cool, um, but horrifying, because you know how I feel about the ocean. (laughs) I'm petrified of the ocean, deep waters and stuff. And he keeps sending me these horrifying creatures that live in the ocean. I'm like, see? this is crazy. (laughs) And one thing that he was kind of sending me a lot of, which I was like intrigued yet horrified by, were the eels. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to do an episode on eels. Um, And I think that would be a really cool thing to look at. Um, I personally like the spotted eel. And when I say like, I use that loosely. 
Um, I like that they have polka dots and that's that's all I can say about things I like about them. But I would love to know your favorite sea creature. I think my favorite as in looks would be the jellyfish just because I think they're pretty. It's like looking at a lava lamp. But when it comes to like the actual animal uh, and how cool they are, I would have to say whales. I love all the whales. Belugas are fun. Um, I like that they have a giant melon. I think humpbacks are cool and sperm whales are really cool. I, you know what? I just like all the whales. I think they're they're really neat. Um, the fact that um, orcas, the killer whale, has like more access to emotions. I feel torn being a therapist and being like that one maybe should be my favorite. <laughs> since they're emotional creatures I have but all the all the whales are have like their own dialects and pods and I don't know they're just really fascinating to me so this is me trying to be upbeat and excited about deep waters (laughs) um but I would love to know what your favorites are because um I I sometimes people will tell me things and I'm like I've never heard of such a thing or they'll tell me the name of something I'm like oh yeah I could totally see that so I'd love to hear about your favorite ocean creature But diving right in, the history of the eel is very interesting. Um, There's a lot of folklore and myths across cultures about them. They're very serpentine. So if you've listened to the special dragon episode, you can kind of hear about uh, one of the conclusions I came to and that were talked about in several articles was how we have kind of a complicated and very rich and historical and even prehistorical connection with serpentine creatures and that's why they show up in so many fairy tales folk tales oral traditions and they're very spiritual as well um there's a lot of um religious ties to serpents for example but they have these slippery bodies and secretive behaviors they they have very interesting behaviors underwater and so they've kind of been associated with like fascination um, mystery, things like that. So we're going to dive into the world of eel folklore and explore its cultural significance, ancient myths, and how these creatures affect human beliefs. So there are many ancient myths and legends that have the eel. And in Greek mythology specifically, the eel was believed to be a transformation of the water nymph. I said nymph. That's so hard to say. Nymph. Oh my goodness. But the water nymph Angela, or Angia, where she was cursed by the goddess Hera. And this myth explains the elongated shape and the wiggly movements of the eel. And eels are actually called Angela in Greek. Um, and I know I'm not saying that correctly at all. Um, it's associated with uh, transformation myths, of course, and divine curses, which I think is interesting. And the curse transformation of Angela is one that's lasted a really long time. Um, And according to her story, she was a beautiful and carefree nymph who caught the attention of Hera, um, who is a goddess. And she was, Hera was really enraged and jealous of her looks. And so she transformed her into this like slimy, slippery eel. And that myth is kind of an explanation for the elongated shape and wiggly movements of eels, and it symbolizes the consequences of divine wrath. Then there's the river god as the father of eels. That's also from Greek mythology. There was this river god, Achilles, 
um, I feel like that goes in, ties in with Achilles, but tell this is something that I really appreciate whenever spooky souls will tell me like more about the Greek mythos, because this is something I'm really not familiar with, but I find it really intriguing. And a lot of people know way more than me about it. So I feel like Achilles and Achilles are kind of similar sounding. So maybe there's a tie there or maybe they're the same person because that's happened before. Kind of like Hercules and Heracles are the same person, but it just depends on how it's spelled. But Achilles is regarded as the father of eels as well as the river god. And there's lots of myths that Achilles was known to take the form of an eel and kind of symbolize the cyclical nature of life, death, and rebirth that's kind of associated also with water and rivers. And it this was this emphasis on this eel's significance as a creature tied to aquatic realms because it was this prominent aspect of Greek mythology and the cyclical nature of their belief system. There's also symbols of regeneration and renewal. Um, there's a very, like, it's not really well known the life cycle of eels, or it wasn't for a long time, um, because they in they transform from larvae to adults. And so because of this, their regeneration and renewal is associated uh, with them in Greek mythology. They can also navigate both freshwater and saltwater, which can add to what makes them so mysterious. Like, where did you come from? How come you're so able to handle these diverse aquatic realms. I know some eels, electric eels, produce electricity, and that's very interesting and difficult to know where that's coming from. And it's this kind of mesmerizing, intriguing background that a lot of people didn't understand or still don't understand about the eel. And that kind of adds to its mystery. And in some versions of Greek mythology, the eel had a connection with the underworld and it served as a link between the realms of gods and humans. And in these myths, the eel was seen as a creature that could cross the boundaries between life and death. And it made it a symbol of transition and transcendence. But it is really cool to hear about different Greek mythos related to eels because this perception of what they thought might happen and where eels came from and its cyclical nature kind of transformed their legends surrounding it um, and what they represented. There are also eels uh, in folk medicine. And this link is kind of, it's somewhat uh, superstitious, some might say, but some of it is very spiritual because it's believed that the slime from an eel has healing properties and could be used to treat wounds or skin conditions. And in others, the eel was thought to bring good luck or, or on the flip side, the harbinger of bad omens just depends on the circumstances of their appearance. Sometimes it's eaten as a culinary delicacy, um, but this potent healing agent with the eel is very cool to me, um, especially because the eel itself is very sleek and elusive, and it is very unique um, physiologically. And the life cycle is, as I was saying before, very mysterious and was difficult to understand. Um, and because of this, they have this ability, or it's believed they have this medicinal uh, properties to them. 
So eel slime in particular is comes from a mucus secreted by eels. And it's said that you put it on topically to treat wounds, burns, and skin conditions due to its uh, reported anti-inflammatory and antimicrobial effects. Um, and it's not really, it's one of those things where like folk medicine I think folk medicine needs to be better studied um, because I think folk medicine has a lot to offer. And just because it's not like packaged as a pill doesn't mean that we should or an ointment means that we should like ignore it. Because if people have been using this for a while, then like and it's purported to help, then why not look into that maybe a little further? But it's thought that the the thought process behind it is that the slime creates a protective barrier over the affected area and it promotes faster healing. There's also some cultures where eel essence, which is a concentrated extract from boiling eels, um, has been used for respiratory ailments like asthma and bronchitis. And this essence of eel was believed to have Uh, expectorant properties. And uh, as someone who was in pharmacy school, who then decided to leave pharmacy school, just so you know, expectorant means that it makes a productive cough. So like, this is really gross. This is really gross. But whatever, we're talking about mucus, bear with me. Um, But like, you know, there, there are dry coughs, and then there are you know, productive coughs and the productive coughs might come up with like, they might sound wet or they might come up with like mucus grossness. Okay, now I'm done. I promise. Um, So it's kind of like it makes you get the stuff out of your lungs, apparently. And because of these expectorant properties, uh, it clears the airways and alleviates breathing difficulties. There are also this one I have to say is my favorite. Um, There are eel bone amulets for joint pain. So eel bones were traditionally used as a protective amulet and talisman in folk medicine to help with joint pain, arthritis and rheumatism. Um, And the bones were worn as a necklace or bracelets because it was believed to harness the eels regenerative properties and offer relief from physical discomfort. And like I was saying before, it's also considered a delicacy in some places. And eel consumption is supposed to help with vitality and fertility. So consuming eels was kind of believed to bestow uh, strength and increase the odds of getting pregnant. And that makes the eel an excellent source of proteins and essential nutrients, just like this This isn't related to uh, folklore, uh, like folk medicine at all like this is they are a good source of protein and have nutrients in it that were considered you know a nourishing food that could boost overall well-being and enhance uh, life expectancy it's also said that eel baths were helpful for rejuvenating this makes me uncomfortable to think about because of course my brain went into let's just sink into a nice warm tub filled with eels and slimy slimy things and what I'm imagining is not actually far off because uh, this this eel bath is supposed to promote rejuvenation and relaxation where you immerse yourself in tubs containing live eels and it's believed that to transfer their mystical properties, to the person that's bathing and it revitalizes the body and the mind. <laughs> so I don't think I could handle it, but maybe maybe that's something I could try in the future once I, I could get over my fears a little bit. It's really cool that the eel's reputation is being like a creature that can assist with health. And it kind of 
deepens that connection between traditional cultures and the natural world uh, across all these different regions and and countries uh, and across the globe. Because not only is it a source of sustenance, but it also has like curative properties to it that's that is believed to have it. And modern medicine and scientific research uh, have shed light a little bit on the potential benefits of certain compounds found in eels. Um, but many of these traditional practices are deeply rooted in cultural beliefs and historical wisdom. Uh, and the use of the eel in folk medicine is kind of a testament to the enduring uh, love of eels and how these mysterious creatures in nature uh, can be kind of revered and helpful to different cultural practices. What I think is really cool is the eel creation myths. Um, there are some creation myths where the eel played a significant role. For instance, the Maori people, the indigenous folks of New Zealand, have this very intricate and rich cultural heritage that's entwined with eel myths uh, that's related to the creation of their world and everyone who inhabits their world. For instance, Rangi and Papa are considered the primal parents. So in the beginning, Maori mythology describes the cosmos as a place of darkness and chaos. And Rangi, the sky father, and Papa, the earth mother, were the primordial beings responsible for giving birth to the world. And they, they clung tightly together and they left no room for light or life to flourish between them. And what happened was that there's the story of Tane Mahuda, one of the divine offsprings of Rangi and Papa. And he was filled with this compassion for his siblings who lived in perpetual darkness. And so Tani sought to separate his parents and bring light to the world. And after several attempt attempts, Tani succeeded in pushing Rangi high into the sky and creating the heavens and leaving Papa as the earth below. The children of Rangi and Papa began to flourish on earth and all these children were known as the Atua or gods that came into existence and took on different forms and roles in shaping the world and all of its inhabitants. So for instance, with the eel, there's a symbolic link there um, related to the Maori creation story because the eel plays the role of connecting the divine realm with the human world. And where have we heard this before? In Greek folklore. So now we know there's more connection here. Um, so Tani Mahuda, after creating the heavens and the earth, chose the eel as one of the creatures to represent the link between the realms of gods and humans. And the eel with its ability to travel between freshwater and saltwater symbolized that connection between terrestrial and aquatic worlds, act acting kind of as this like mediator or this transcend transcendental connection between Atua and the people of New Zealand. Throughout Maori culture, eels have held a very special place of significance. They're regarded as a taonga or a treasure that have been a traditional food source for the Maori people. And the Maori's deep respect for eels is reflected in their association with the divine and their role as a bridge between spiritual and earthly realms and aquatic realms. So I love the eel as like this symbolic creature serving as that bridge between divine and mortal spaces. Um, and it can navigate both. And it's it's reflected in that ability to navigate fresh and salt water. 
Um, and I think it's it's cool to see how um, the Atua or the gods and the people of New Zealand are connected through this creature. I think that's really, really cool. In Japan, the eel is highly esteemed and considered a delicacy, especially during the summer months. So the tradition of eating eel during, quote, day of the ox, end quote, is believed to provide stamina and protection from the summer heat. So as you can see, the eel has this really rich history and folklore. It's connected with vitality. It's connected with omens. It's connected with myths across the globe. And the there are creation stories even with them and their ability to heal and protect and that their mysterious life cycle and their ability to navigate wildly different environments like salt and freshwater kind of leaves a mark on humans because we want to explore and study these fascinating creatures. And that's probably why they hold such a wonderful place in our cultural narratives. And it's this this connection and symbol to the enduring fascination and wonder of these aquatic creatures. So thank you for listening to this slippery, slimy tale. Um, all these historical backgrounds between uh, how divine the eels are. And thank you, Justin, for sending me horrifying videos of eels just popping out of places you didn't see them in. <laughs> um, there were really cute ones that were sent to me where like a diver is like friends with an eel, like a spotted eel. Um, so that one was fine. But the, I, their faces are very, um, I don't know another way other than say horrifying. They're very horrifying, but they're very sweet seeming as well. But thank you for listening. Uh, and I will talk to you next week. Thanks to all you spooky souls out there for listening to Creepy Core and Folklore. Follow on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok if you're looking for more uncanny content. If you have your own tales to tell, you can email creepycoreandfolklore at gmail.com. If you liked this, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts or tell a friend who might enjoy these stories to spread the word. If you're interested in dark fantasy, check out my Hollowverse series. Ashes is available now in paperback and ebook on Amazon and audiobook on Audible. And the sequel is underway. I'm Iona Wayland, and I'll see you next time.